Hi, I'm Mandy, and it's a pleasure to be here with you this morning, for those of you here in person and for those of you uh, with us at home or online. We're continuing our series in Joshua titled God is with you. In parts one and two of this series, we've seen Joshua installed as leader of the Israelites after Moses dies. We are reminded that God is with us. Our foundations can wobble, but God does not, and we need to be strong and courageous. We also learnt about Rahab, and the Israelite spies sent to check out the land across the Jordan. The people of Jericho were melting with fear, I love that word, melting with fear at the thought of the Israelites' God. God uses Rahab's faith to inspire a whole army. Being part of God's family is not about status, job or connection. As we saw with Rahab, it's about believing in him. Today we're looking together at chapters 3 and 4 of Joshua. But let's pray before we get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be in this place or that we can be online, that we can hear your word even in the midst of lockdown and restrictions. We thank you for the book of Joshua. We thank you for the amazing things that we can learn through the life of the Israelites and their journey into the promised land. I just pray that uh, today the people who need to hear things from you will hear them. The people who need to uh, be encouraged will be encouraged. The people who need to move uh, to action in their life will be moved by you. We just pray for your spirit amongst us as we uh, learn from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. We pick up the narrative today in Joshua chapter 3 as the Israelites under Joshua's leadership cross over the Jordan River into the promised land. As we read today, we will see that God chose to speak to the Israelites in a variety of ways. We are reminded throughout these chapters that God is with with the Israelites and that God is with us. We're going to start at chapter 3, verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. Keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. Let's consider the backdrop to this story. Forty years ago, the Israelites were told by God that they were not entering the promised land at that time. Everyone 20 years of age and over, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, has died in that 40 years. The current 40 to 60-year-olds, four decades ago, were only children, teenagers, when they faced this disappointment. 
We know the story from Numbers chapter 13. The spies returned after 40 days exploring the promised land. Joshua and Caleb are the only ones who bring a good report that God will give them victory in the promised land. The other spies actively work against Moses and God's plan. We read in Numbers 13, 31 and 32, but the men, had gone up, that the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people, they are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. And this is God's response to their lack of faith. Numbers 14 from verse 30. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hands to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children, that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness, until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. Now is the time for those children. Can you imagine how they must be feeling at this point? Excited? Elated? Terrified? Unbelieving that it could really finally be going to happen. In awe of God. Petrified that someone will do the wrong thing. Do you think there's someone in the crowd who's going around saying not a word? Don't say anything. Not a negative comment among you. We are not upsetting God again and then ending up back there for another 40 years. So keep your mouth shut and your eyes forward. Do you think they're riding on the memories that loved ones have told them about, like the parting of the Red Sea when they were only children? Or do you think that they have their own personal experience of God? After all, manna has arrived every day for 40 years to sustain them. But this is it. They're about to finally walk into the promised land, into enemy territory, and God is with them. At some point over these last 40 years, the Israelites have had to make their faith their own, not their parents. Someone once said, there are no grandchildren in heaven. We are all children of God. We can't ride on the experiences of our parents. But let me ask you this. Have you ever felt let down by God? Have you ever wondered, what am I really holding on to? Have you ever heard someone else talk about their experience with God and thought, I've never had an experience like that? At some point in our lives, we will be challenged, either by circumstances or by another person, to consider our relationship with God, maybe question his existence altogether. In a span of eight months, I had one of the best experiences of my life and one of the worst. Both impacted my relationship with God significantly. It started in a German class. Ich bin müde. For those of you who speak German, you will know that means I am tired. 
This was my favourite phrase in Year 9 German class back in 1987. And don't do the maths on how old I am. I didn't like studying German. I was bad at it. I had no interest in it. During Term 3, the teacher would regularly find me with my head on the desk asleep, and when Frau Long woke me, rather forcefully, I would groan, Ich bin müde. When I came home one night after school, early in Term 4, looking very unwell, with glands popping out of my neck, like golf balls, Mum took me to the doctor, and I was diagnosed with glandular fever. See, I wasn't being naughty in German class. I spent the rest of Term 4 and all summer holidays recovering, and I'm sure you'll be surprised to know that I had a busy social calendar planned for the summer, and all of that immediately stopped. And I just remember lots and lots of sleeping. I missed sports grand finals, friends' birthday parties, Christmas parties, and my annual trip to CYC, CYC Cows, where I attend summer camps. I was sad, lonely, very tired and frustrated. On New Year's Eve, I hit the wall. Everyone was out enjoying themselves and I was stuck at home, tired and miserable. I cried and cried. The house was empty other than me and while I sat on the floor in my bedroom with my back to the door, I had a sense that someone was in the room with me. I wasn't freaked out, it was a very peaceful feeling. I felt a hand on my shoulder and an assurance that everything was okay. It felt so real, I even looked over my shoulder to check there was no one there. I unequivocally felt that Jesus had visited me and given me peace and assurance. That was 33 years ago, and I've never experienced anything like that since. Five months later, in May, 1988, I came home from a youth group camp on a Sunday afternoon and my parents had to break the news to me that a good friend from school, Sarah, had died on the weekend. She was hit by a car as she was crossing the road. I cried myself to sleep every night for a very long time and I stayed angry at God for a very long time. I actually refused to pray for him, to him for a whole year. It was my silent protest. You could have stopped her dying, God, but you didn't. but God was still with me. God was with me in both of these experiences, as close as ever, loving me, feeling my pain and getting me through. Both experiences actually brought me closer to God. I never doubted God's existence. I just had a lot of questions about why he had allowed this to happen. I know when God put his hand on my shoulder, it was real. In my moments of questioning since then, I still never doubt that it was God giving me reassurance. But this is not a regular occurrence for me. And my faith is no less because I don't have these moments all the time. Likewise, my view of life and God was changed irrevocably after Sarah died. Maybe right now you can feel the pain or grief or injustice that made you doubt God or bring you closer to him. Conversely, maybe you can feel that soaring, wonderful moment when God gave you a sign or a miracle that you hold on to for assurance. 
What I do know is that God shows me things all the time through scripture, songs, sermons, podcasts, prayers, others' testimonies. There's a rich tapestry that God uses to guide me, challenge me, reassure me and encourage me. And he does this in different ways for everybody. Did the Israelites have some amazing experiences with God? Yes, over and over. Did they still doubt, whinge and complain? Absolutely. Was God with them? Yes, he was. Let's go back to Joshua chapters 3 and 4 because God spells out for the Israelites a range of ways he will guide them and speak to them and they continue to be relevant to us today. God uses leaders and mentors in our lives to speak to us and guide us. In Joshua chapter 3 verse 7 it says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. God uses Joshua's leadership and exalts Joshua to remind all of Israel that God was with Joshua and, with, and was with them. God places people of significance and leadership in our lives to show us him and to teach us. God uses his word, scripture, to show, teach, rebuke and guide us. Sorry, I think I've got a microphone malfunction going on. Sorry about all the hair in the microphone, John. In Joshua chapter 3, verse 9, God said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you. In this setting, it was literally God's word heard by Joshua. For us, God's word in the scriptures is no less vibrant and effective and alive he tells the Israelites that the living God is with them through his word. We can harness this too. The living God is speaking to us through his word. Reading God's word is about both those momentous moments when we have a single clear knowing from God about a particular issue, along with a lifetime of learning and growing to become more like Christ. As we see in these passages, God uses signs, circumstances and miracles to remind us of his power and love for us. What a fabulous sign he gave the Israelites as they stood opposite Jericho on the other side of the Jordan River. In Joshua chapter 3 from verse 14 it says, So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the edge of the water, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. 
And just a side note, it talks later in the chapter about 40,000 Israelite army troops. And I don't know if that means that's just the men in the army, but imagine if you were the priest with the Ark of the Covenant waiting for every Israelite to cross. Imagine if you were living in a town called Adam, just going down to the, water to get, going down to the river to get some water, Mum. Whoa. Likewise, if you were down near the Dead Sea and suddenly the flooding river just stopped. Have you ever been in a flooded river? I have. It was terrifying. I was on a rafting trip that went slightly amiss on the flooded Midamita River. I'm a decent swimmer and I had a life vest on and I was still struggling to keep my head above the water. Being in a flooded river is a very scary thing. What if you were the priest that had to dip your toe in the edge before the raging flooded water stopped in front of you? Then you had to stand there with your back to a raging wall of water upstream while all the Israelites crossed. Were they tempted to look over their shoulder? Were they straining their ears listening for that water in case it came raging back towards them in a big hurry? Joshua chapter 4 tells us about this crossing of the flooded Jordan River on dry ground. What an awesome reminder God has provided for his people who were just young children when their families crossed the Red Sea. What beautiful symmetry in God's plan for them. God was with them. And a great little side note, see what it says at the end of verse 16. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Here are the people of Jericho already melting in fear as they remember what God did at the Red Sea 40 years ago. And now God gives them this extra reminder of his power. Right opposite Jericho, he stops the raging flooded Jordan River and allows the Israelites to cross on dry ground. And if you jump to chapter 5, verse 1, you'll see that the whole area, every king of various nations heard about this and they were all melting in fear at the Israelite God. The Ark of the Covenant was placed in the middle of the river with the priests waiting there while everyone crossed. God provided this miraculous experience for the next generation to remember and hold on to. Some here have had miraculous supernatural moments and some of us haven't. I don't understand why God gives some people these moments and others never. For me, it's only once as a standout sign. But all those other slow and steady moments with God build up to something that provides deep and solid assurance in him. And I hold on to this daily. By the Jordan River, God gives the Israelites a symbol. He creates a reminder for future generations. God uses stories, memorials and rituals to enable us to experience him, hear him, and remember him. Continuing in Joshua chapter 4, verse 4. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord into the middle of the Jordan. 
Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. And again in verse 21, chapter 4, he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. And in verse 24 at the end of the chapter, he did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. It's important that we tell others about the living God and how he has spoken to us, revealed himself and guided us. It's also good to pass these stories on to our loved ones and commemorate what God has done in our life, as Joshua got the people to do by the Jordan River. But it's also important to provide opportunities for our children and other loved ones to develop their own story. Because everyone experiences God in different ways. We must remember that God does not want us to chase the experience. He wants us to chase him. Our level of miraculous experience is not a measure of our faith. We don't need to feel our experience is somehow less if we haven't had a crossing the Jordan moment. Many of us speak of an assurance of God always being there. We never remember a time when we didn't believe in him and put our trust in him. What a beautiful gift from God this is. Others feel God's presence very keenly when they're out in nature looking at the wonders God's created. Remember the faith of Rahab? She had only heard of what God had done and this was enough for her to believe. People will challenge your faith. People will question what you believe. For many of our young people, this is a significant challenge right now. In a constantly changing world, that often sees Christians in a negative light. But remember this. No one can take away from you your experience of God. No one can take away the cross, the resurrection and your freedom in Christ. Communion is part of that pile of rocks for us, the monument that reminds us of all that Christ did for us. Remember verse 24 at the end of chapter 4? He did this so that all people on the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. I want to finish with a quote from a Jesuit priest. He used three passages of scripture to form these thoughts. Whenever we use our finite intelligence in an effort to understand our infinite God, we collide with the dead end of mystery. God's thoughts simply are not our thoughts. God's ways are just not our ways. In the end, at the wall of mystery, 
we hear a small voice in the soft breeze. Be still and know that I am God. This quote is a reminder for me that I will always have unanswered questions while I'm on this earth. I need to be prepared to live with a bit of mystery because if I had all the answers, then God wouldn't be God and I would not need faith. God is with me. Maybe for you, it's not the big questions, but the quiet moments of anxiousness or loneliness when you need to hear that still small voice of God saying, I love you, you are mine. He's saying that right now. God is with you. For others, our busyness and tiredness makes us wonder sometimes, why am I doing this? And where is God in all of this? Listen for that soft breeze and take heart in his words. Be still and know that I am God. God is with you. Pick up your rocks and make a monument. Hold on to that monument and tell others what the living God has done for you. Tell them your moment when the flooded river dried up. Tell them your inspirations, the leaders and mentors have provided for you. Tell them of the amazing guidance and assurance you've received from his word. Let's champion each other in our experiences, growth and worship of an almighty, loving, huge and powerful God. And let's celebrate with each other as God uses new, really unique ways and moments to celebrate with each of us. God is with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that assurance that you are with us. That in our questions, in our heartache, in our loneliness, in our anxiousness, in times of difficulty and in those times of joy, that you are there and that you will use people and your word and others around us to teach us, to comfort us, to encourage us as you did to the Israelites. In Jesus' name, amen.